Welcome again to another episode of the Smart City Podcast. We're here live at the ARC 27th Annual Forum. We're having uh, just a tr- tremendous event. And my guest today, we're welcoming back Glenn Cook of EVTransports.com. Glenn, how are you today? Doing good, man. How are you doing? All right. Uh, are you enjoying our conference this week? I'll tell you what, every time I come to the art group, conference, I learned something. I was learning stuff today about the ports. I learned stuff today about international stuff in Dubai. Always something new. That's, that, that's great. Well, Glenn, we're having you back because we know that you're involved in just a variety of very fascinating technology and business initiatives in Central Florida and, and in greater, greater Florida, for, for that matter. Um, uh, can you go through some of those um, slowly? Okay. <laughs> Well, basically right now we're working on more international businesses coming here to the state of Florida. And one of those particular initiatives is the Florida-Israeli Partnership. So we're currently working with this company from Tel Aviv and bringing them here to the United States, here to Lake Nona. We're going to be working on a special project here in Central Florida called the Intelligent Mobility Center. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be able to simulate mobility patterns with human behavior, AI, and machine learning. So before we invest our very first capital dollar from our Move Florida Forward program, we're going to be able to simulate all these mobility patterns with electric, autonomous, connected vehicles Mm -hmm. for our conferences, for our basic people that live here, for our residents, as well as our theme parks. So we can see mobility of the future, even as it comes through our new multimodal system with Brightline and the airport terminal seat. So, so Glenn, for, uh, foundationally, for our audience who might not be aware of all these developments, these very exciting developments in, in Central Florida, um, can you tell us a little about where is Lake Nona? <laughs> Why is it important? Are there autonomous shuttles there? When did they start, and how was that the nexus for what really looks like a very exciting, a very broad project? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. About 25-plus years ago, I moved here to Central Florida, and I actually had an opportunity to be uh, the director of operations up in Seminole County, Lake Mary area. And so I would drive on 417 before 417 was connected to I-4. And I would always drive by this place, and there's a lot of cattle and a lot of dirt. And these guys started digging trenches and I was like, what are they doing over there? Well, what they were doing is they were building Lake Nona. Tavistock Group is a land developer, and they started building the city of the future 20-plus years ago. They were laying the fiber optics in the ground for full connectivity. So when you start talking about our 5G systems now, that was started 20 years ago with our infrastructure with Tavistock Group and Lake Nona. Now, I know, I know Glenn, that um, at a previous ARC conference back in 2020, just before COVID hit the world... Um, we were lucky enough to go out there with a shuttle bus and ride the beep shuttle right back and forth uh, from from actually the ARC conference there probably was the 25th I think annual and we were very impressed yeah of of how that worked particularly that's a long time ago now absolutely in yeah. in, in, in 2020 in the world of autonomy um. At that point, that's about all there was there in terms of technology was a slow shuttle bus with a human operator that went relatively slowly. It paused if the trees moved a little bit too much and we had to wait until the wind went down and then it started again. But I understand that since that, that probably was February of 2020, an an awful lot has happened. So maybe, can you touch on uh, BEEP and their importance to Mm -hmm. to the project 
and then all of the other related add-ons that are are uh, piling in there. Okay, well, Beep actually was a program that uh, Mark Reed and his brother Kevin Reed brought here to the United States. Uh, it is a autonomous vehicle shuttle that moves people kind of like the transit bus system for links but it does it autonomous level four and a level four basically means it has to have a safety operator on board and it has specific routes that it does like a, a tra transit bus would do and that moves it autonomously without, without regular uh, roadway structures okay so they have about eight routes in Lake Nona right now and they operate from our town center area over to Canvas over to the VA multiple routes and it moves people around our our future city of Lake Nona. Superb. Um, now, I understand that, that that Lake Nona now is a international mobility center. What what comprises this international mobility center? Well, the international mobility center basically is going to be able to study human behavior. It's going to be able to study electric, autonomous, connected vehicles, and how with human behavior we actually breathe as a city that comes through our airport that comes through our intermodal systems and how our regular vehicles that are general population vehicles are working in conjunction with our intelligent traffic lights, our crosswalk areas to be able to reduce congestion. We want to be able to track human behavior to see how our economies are going to move better. And by doing that in one confined area of Lake Nona, which we call our living lab, People from all over the world are looking at us and saying, how are you doing this? How are you tracking your data or your oil of the future with data as the oil? So who are the technology partners that are, are participating? Um, specifically, the one from Israel that we have working right now is called Mobility Insight. They were the creators of Waze years ago that sold to Google. Uh, so they started another startup, and it came through our incubator here at UCF. And we started working with them to collect this data and to be able to track through our mobility system, our DO, Florida State DOT, specifically District 5, uh, which is probably one of the smartest TMCs or transportation management centers in the world. Uh, I'm kind of biased on that, too, because it is up by Sanford, my old stomping grounds. Uh, but they work in conjunction with UCF. They work with Technion University, so it's very academic. Uh, they also work with uh, Ariel University out of Hoffa in, in Tel Aviv. And they're also working here for our Space Coast area. So everything from the airport over to Space Florida, Kennedy Space Center, mm -hmm. Port Canaveral, they're doing that whole area as a study right now. Oh, that's, that, that's fascinating. Um, in previous discussions, we've talked on uh, a number of different things like, uh, oh, electric aviation, electric aviation ports for Orlando. Uh, are you involved in anything like that? A uh, little bit on the NDA side, I can say that, yes, we are bringing the first Verta port. Oh, to okay. Lake Nona. It's going to be done with Lilium. So basically what a vertiport is, it's an electric vehicle takeoff and landing. Uh, it's going to be regionalized. The range is going to be right around 200 miles for these type of people movers. So instead of having congestion on the road, we're going to be able to elevate this regional transportation above the roads and be able to transport people uh, through our vertical takeoff and landing ports. <clears throat> Super. Um, so glad we both live in Florida. Yeah. The weather is beautiful. I work at home. Uh, the vehicle of my vehicle of choice that gets more, far more mileage than anything is a bicycle. Okay. Okay. Um, not very often to a supermarket because we have Instacart and everything else gets delivered. We have Amazon yeah. and everything else. Uh, but what often troubles me is that it, it might be a 4,000-pound ICE vehicle that's, yeah. that's delivering my groceries or a 6,000-pound electric vehicle that's delivering a pizza. Yeah. 
So I know you worked with a variety of different companies. Uh, maybe you want to highlight some of your work on three-wheeled delivery vehicles um, and you know what applications do they support and why are they important? Um, funny you used to say that because about three years ago when this little thing called COVID hit, we were working with Tesla at the time and we were moving a lot of people in those 4,000 to 6,000 pound vehicles through ride share and we were c- collecting data through our electric autonomous vehicles at the time, partially autonomous vehicles. Um, one of the case studies we did is we found that during COVID that people needed products still. They needed stuff. And we found that there's this company out on the West Coast called Arkimoto, and they had a three-wheeled electric vehicle that could actually move stuff, and it would hit 85% of the target market with two-thirds less the cost. And it was fully electric, so zero emissions. So what we did is we reached out to their fleet manager at the time, and we brought them here to the Central Florida area and started working with them on transporting goods with their vehicle. It's called a Deliverator. So it's a three-wheel electric vehicle. It produces uh, a range of about 102 miles. So basically, it it hit our sweet spot of 15-mile radius going back and forth before you have to do a recharge. And we can deliver products with their Deliverator. So in that process, they said, well, you know what? We need some help on the legislative side. I said, funny you say that. I know some people on the legislative side. So we started working on the auto cycle language because it's not a motorcycle. It's not a car. It's an auto cycle, and we created that within two years, and it's now a state law for the autonomous auto cycle, which we're now working with the universities on. Let me ask you a question about that, one that I haven't asked before. is I know, uh, particularly in South Florida, there's a lot of rentals of Can-Am three-wheel vehicles. Right. Um, were those previously governed under the motorcycle law requiring helmets, or... So what we did back before we started the auto cycle regulation right. is you actually physically had to take a motorcycle endorsement course. But now that we created this language, it actually removes you only need a regular driver's license to operate an auto cycle now and you don't have to have a helmet because there's a roll cage around it. That roll cage is crush tested up to 10 thousand pounds kind of like nascar a cage you know and because the central the center of gravity on these vehicles is so low it's kind of like a weeble wobble you can't flip them over they bounce right back up so they're safer you can't roll them, and they're crush tested at ten thousand pounds so they're safer than any other vehicle on the road as well i will attest for full disclosure that actually i did drive <laughs> uh one of these with with glenn a few months ago and it was extremely stable uh, quite fast, yeah, and uh, quite a bit of fun to drive as well. Yeah, that's what they call the FPV, <laughs> the fun utility vehicle. That was great. Um, can you detail any other initiatives that you're um, working on here in this great state of Florida? Well, I am under a lot of NDAs, but I will say that one of the initiatives that we're trying to work towards is bidirectional charging right now. And that's basically where you can plug in to an electric vehicle, let it store its battery componentry, and then at any given time through software, you can put that back into the grid for surplus needs and to be able to power a building in the event that we have a hurricane or, or we have a power outage. Uh, so it becomes more sustainable. Let's let's talk about that a, a little bit. What obstacles do you see in trying to realize that vision? Um, well, like a lot of other things, our legislative has some barriers that we have to work through. And, and government takes a little bit of time to pass rules, regulations, make it policy procedure. Um, so that's probably one of our biggest obstacles right now is getting it through, to get it through committee, and then to have it, our voice be heard and show the benefit, how it's going to benefit society. So legislatively right now, we have a slow roll in bidirectional charging. You know, uh, fr- from my perspective, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a lobbyist. 
uh, I look at it from technical and logistical issues. One is that the electric utilities, of course, have some concern about introducing the correct waveform back to their network. Mm -hmm. They don't want the network to be disrupted. That's on on one one hand. So that requires uh, approved inverters and and, uh, and a a lot of technical issues there. Um, It's similar. That conversation is similar to what the photovoltaic people are fighting in in the state of Florida, microgrids and those, those kind of things. But similarly... There's a warranty issue often on electric vehicles yeah. about discharge rates and cycles and how you manage the battery. Right. And I know I have a colleague with with uh, an electric vehicle, and um, he's he would he prefers not to va- to uh, invalidate his warranty. Right. From from his battery. So those are some of the issues that 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 from a financial perspective need to be surmounted. Um, from my perspective, if if my uh, my colleague would would be able to do some financial arbitrage and sell power at 3 p.m. and charge at night, right? That revenue may well pay for absolutely his battery replacement, right? And it wouldn't be an issue. But we need to work out those numbers, and we still don't have a lot of transparency in in all of those discussions. Um. Any other initiatives you'd like to discuss today? Uh, let me touch real quick about what you're talking about there. Um, with regards to the battery, our technology has improved immensely over the last three years. Um, I'm kind of biased uh, with Tesla, but they've actually come out with new styles of batteries called the 4680 cell. It's got a greater density, it's a faster recharge, and it's also got a longer life. I mean, they can recharge these things up to 6,000 cycles. They call it the million-mile battery. Okay, so you get a longer life cycle. We're talking a 20-year battery here. You know, you'll have a new, better widget before you, you burn out these batteries. And then also on the recharge side of selling it back to the grid, like you were talking about, uh, they actually have a software now. It's called AutoBitter, and it actually regulates how you would put battery power back into our power source or the grid, so to speak. And they can monitor. They're actually doing it in the UK. They're doing it in Australia. It's just now. The United States of America needs to be able to figure out how they're going to be able to make a little bit of money on it for our power companies. That's basically, I think, what the hang-up is. Very, very, very true. Um, well, once again, my guest today has been Glenn Cook of EV Transports. Uh, I look forward to talking with you again with yes, some sir. insights in the, next, in the next few months. Again, please join us again on another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much.